Well, I'm in chapter 14 and I'm in verse 15. And I thought about how to do this. I'm just going to do it as I go along. I'm not going to teach on the Holy Spirit the whole time. Uh, but I'm going to... Uh, what? I think I am, but you're, feel free to mess with the volume. I don't know how to... No. A little bit of... I've turned it several times if you want to mess with it. You can't hear me? Yes, that's on. But it may not be turned on on the wall loud enough. Chapter 14, verse 15. Let me read this. I may or may not finish it. Uh, I'm going to just, as we go along, we're just going to look at each verse. And then as then we get to chapter 16, we're going to finish. Uh, we're going to talk more about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's going to lay the groundwork for the coming of the Spirit uh, here. But uh, as we get into it, we'll get into it. And we're not going to move around. We're just going to go verse by verse. So here we go. If you love me. John chapter 14, verse 15, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you'll live also. At that day you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me doesn't keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you'd rejoice, because I said I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you'll believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, And as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. We're in the middle of the upper room discourse. Jesus is addressing the disciples in a loving, intimate manner. He has showed them how to love well. He showed them how to be a servant. He has taught them that to be great is to be a servant in God's kingdom. He has identified his betrayer and he has showed much love and, and, and given Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, much affection and love and opportunity to repent. He has talked about a new commandment in which he changed the extent and he changed the standard. He said instead of loving our neighbor, we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. So if we don't love our neighbor, 
neighbor as we love ourselves. We love our neighbor as Christ loved us, greatly extending and increasing the amount of love as Christ loved us. We talked about that in great detail. And the priority for believers is to love one another. We do not not love our neighbor, obviously, but the priority is to the community of believers. And then it extends from there to our neighbors and to the world. So we talked about that in great detail. We talked about the purpose of Peter's denial. We talked about that Jesus prayed beforehand for Peter. And he told Peter, you're going to deny me. And you're going to deny me for a purpose. He said, because you're going to be brought back to repentance. And after you're brought back to repentance, you're going to be useful for my glory. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to feed my lambs. We talked about all that in great detail. We talked about the sixth I am last week. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about what the life was. We talked about the, the Zoa life. We talked about He's the reality. And we talked about He's the way. And we talked about that in great detail. And then uh, last week we talked more mostly about prayers and, uh, and key to praying. And the context of these prayers was to do the work. And we talked about all that in great detail last week. Today... We're going to move on to verse 15. I've read this, and of course, the first thing he says, and we've talked about this multiple times, multiple verses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Jesus says, conditional statement, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is a basic premise of what it means to be a Christian. You can you can have all of the... Uh, talk about what you are and what you aren't. You can make all these claims. It's a little chilly in here, isn't it? If somebody wants to turn that down, they have my blessing. But uh, 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 I see a lot of people shivering, and I know it's not me causing the shivers. So we see, if you love me, keep my commandments. We don't want to be people who have an oral profession and not an internal change of the heart. Jesus said, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name, cast out demons in your names and do this and this and this for you? And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. So it doesn't matter how loudly we proclaim that we are his people and that we are followers of Christ. If our life doesn't give evidence that we are his children, then we, our professions are in vain and they are not based in the reality of Christ's change and His change that He works in our life. And so Jesus, before He starts the dissertation on the Holy Spirit, He wants the disciples to understand the Holy Spirit comes to followers. The Holy Spirit comes to those who are His children, those who have been changed by His grace. And so He enumerates that again before He talks. It's a condition of the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit comes and changes and comes to believers. So we see this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And it also says we see that in many verses. just want to look at a couple. I've quoted from Matthew 7, uh, 21 through... Uh, 24. Now I want to look again at Matthew, if you'll go to 7. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our lives should be characterized by obedience. And so the Holy Spirit would ask you, or is your life characterized by obedience? Are you progressing in obedience? Are you becoming more and more faithful and truthful? Are you loving His Word? Are you praying in faith? Are you 
growing in faith or is he bearing fruit in you? That is the essence of what it means to be a follower of the way. And, and so as opposed to just claiming Christ, it is life evidence that we are changed by Christ. If you turn to 724, uh, again, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, a big difference. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a, be a doer of the word. If you're just a hearer of the word, you're deceiving yourself. Your profession is false. But he says, be ye hearers of the word and not doers only. He who is a hearer of the word, I will liken unto a man who builds his house upon a rock. The foundation stone, Jesus Christ. The winds blew and the storm raged against it and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock, right? He's a hearer and a doer. Any of that who, who hear my word and don't do them, I will liken to a foolish man who built his hand upon, his house upon the, what? Sand. False profession, not based upon who Christ is. Same thing happens to the, to the saved person as to the lost person. The difference is the consequence. When the rains and the storms of life come to the lost person, his house falls and the fall is great. So there is a distinction between doers, just hearers of the word and doers of the word. So Jesus again reiterates that. And it is important that we understand that in our lives. In the proof text, anytime I'm talking to anybody and they claim to be a believer, I always quote this same verse to them. And it is amazing the response you get when you ask them this question. I ask them, do you obey God? You claim to be a follower of Christ. Do you believe God? And they look at you and they blink and they'll give you all these things. And I'll say, do you know what the scripture says about someone who says he loves God but doesn't obey God? And they say, what? And I say, it says you're a liar. And I do it with a smile on my face. Not a, not a, not a contemptible smile, but do you understand what we're saying to you? Do you understand what the Scripture says to you? Your life has to be characterized by obedience if your claims are valid. So we see that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, By this we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and doesn't keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth isn't in him, but whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought also to walk as He walked. Now we explain to people none of us are perfect. None of us are able to, to obey the whole law. But is your life characterized by that? And is it moving toward the process? Of, are you dependent on Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit? These are questions we have to ask people. And we have to ask ourselves as we examine ourselves. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what we call the rubber meeting the road. How many people have claimed Christ, but they do not have a life that represents Christ changing them? Because he has to, right? You have to bear fruit if you're attached to the vine. We'll talk about that next week. Being in, in Christ. So he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
He says that if you do not know me, the Holy Spirit will not come. And so we'll talk about it here in a second. But now I want to look about this, this, the Holy Spirit, and I want to uh, address this in many ways. I want to talk about this. How many of you grew up in Christian homes? Was the Holy Spirit... I can only talk from my experience. The Holy Spirit... Uh, my dad was a godly man and still is, but uh, he never spoke much about the Holy Spirit because I think one th- reason he didn't, he wanted to avoid the charismatic movement. He wanted to avoid uh, speaking in tongues. He wanted to avoid all the baggage uh, of, of the far right, I'll say, far left of the Holy Spirit. But what he failed to do, I think he... Ch- uh, he just he just never spoke about the spirit, and when you brought up the spirit, the spirit never was really explained. So the Holy Spirit to me, when, as I grew up as a young person, I didn't understand who the Holy Spirit was. But I, so I want to give us a. Any of you have that same experience? The Holy Spirit was sort of a wasn't spoken about because of those same reasons. Uh, you can definitely, and I don't know why that is. And so what happened? You have. And uh, this is my view. This may not be. Uh, this is my view. So you have people. We have. We have. We have the old school growing up in church, and the churches are dead and lifeless, and there's no movement of God's spirit because we don't talk about the spirit, we don't emphasize the spirit, we don't walk in the spirit, and so you have a deadness. And so what people says is this: what church is? And so they go to this extreme over here, and so they go to experience, and they go to emotion, and they see to they they go to. Uh, experience and so they go way over here and so we go from here to here and so we want to bring it to here and so that's what hopefully we'll talk about that today the holy spirit it's very important we understand the spirit who he is what he does Uh, we see this uh, and i will pray the father and he will give you another helper i want to look at this he will give you another helper the word is is paraclete and we need to understand this is an important word. Para means another, another like. It means to come along beside. It means it means uh, from, and it means among. So the emphasis on the prefix para is that this another helper is someone like, identical with, the same essence of God the Father and God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is God. We'll talk about this uh, in a second. But the word, he says, I'm going to send you another helper. So I'm going to send you... One who is ISO, the word in uh, in Philippians when Jesus, the great kenosis, when he humbles himself and becomes a man, he didn't think it robbery to be like God. That word is ISO, same in essence, same in power, same in unity, same in uh, in will. So this Holy Spirit, the third person, is is ISO. He is the same as God. He is God, and so and so Jesus says. I'm going to send, the Father's going to send, I'll get into that in a minute, another like us who is among us, who comes from us, and He is like us. 
in essence. He subsists as God and He is God. Okay? He's to be worshipped as God. He is God. So, so Jesus says, the Father is going to send a para, one like me, in kletos. The word in Greek means to help. And so your translation may say helper, and it's capitalized. But the word is chock full of meaning. So when the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in this verse, the parakletos, he's another one, he comes up, he's, he is in essence God, he's come to help, but he does many different things. He does many different things, and I'm going to just write these down, and then we'll talk about them. So we see the first thing I've got here, uh, it means he's a counselor. And we'll get into that when we get into uh, John chapter 16. He's a counselor. He convicts and he instructs us. He works as a counselor. We're familiar with that uh, as counselors here at this church. He is an intercessor. Jesus intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit intercedes with us and He utters groanings that cannot be heard. And as Terry has said, He corrects our prayers, the Holy Spirit. He is an intercessor towards us. He, of course, is a comforter. And He is a encourager. And a word that He also is, He is our advocate. He is a defense attorney. All of these uh, define what the Holy Spirit does. And He is the third person of the Trinity. He exhorts and the Holy Spirit teaches. These are all functions of the Holy Spirit that He, the third person, does. And so the Father is going to send the Spirit after Jesus dies, after He rises from the dead, after He ascends into the heavens, ten days later, fifty days after after He dies at Pentecost, fifty meaning Penta, He comes and, and the new era of Christianity, the body of Christ, begins uh, as we know it today. So God, Jesus says, my Father is going to send a paracletus. He is God, He is of essence God, and He is going to perform. He's going to help, counsel, intercede, comfort, encourage, exhort, and to teach. And He's our advocate, and He's our defense attorney. Any questions about this brief, we're going to get in more into in chapter 16, the, the work of the Spirit. We're going to get into His convicting of sin, righteousness. Uh, we're going to get into His causes us to remember the Scripture and the words that Jesus tells us. We're going to talk about His... Uh, function is to glorify Christ and everything that He does. But everybody get this beginning 101 of the Holy Spirit. Any questions about that? And notice that He says, uh, first thing He says is in this verse, chapter, uh, verse 16, I will pray the Father and the Father will give you the helper. So we see that the Father sins. And then in another verse, it says, Jesus sins. So let's look at this and see if we can differentiate. And, and if you have any questions, we'll ask Russell and Sally. But uh, the, the, the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He will abide with you forever. So we see that in verse 
we see that in verse 16. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while be, being present with you. But the Helper, verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. I'm going to give you a little clue. He will teach you all things and to bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So we see the Father sending the Spirit in both of these verses. Look at 1526. 1526. But when the Helper, same word, parakletos, the Comforter, when the Helper comes whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. So we see the Father sending in two, and we see Jesus sending, and then 16.7, it tells us, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is in your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. So the Father sends in two verses, and the Son sends in two verses. Does this surprise you? Does this confuse you? How do you explain that? One God. One God. One God. So we see the Father sending Him. We see the Son sending Him. So we see the Spirit, the Paracletos, coming. And notice the Spirit doesn't come until after Jesus departs. So everybody understand that. Everybody understand that. Absolutely. All of us in this room can only explain our understanding of Scripture because the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to understand it. We are in our flesh unable to hear the things of God, to understand the things of God, discern the things of God. We cannot believe or understand, but the Holy Spirit works and creates that in us gives us spiritual ears to hear, gives us desires and wills. He does the work. And so the disciples, a lot of people give the disciples a hard time how they were weak in faith and how they denied Him and how they they bragged about who's going to be the greatest. And heaven forbid John, and remember James and John said, because people weren't following them and being in their sect, and he said, do you want us to call down thunder and health and lightning on these people? And Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. That's us. That's us. I've been so convicted of that lately about uh, just an ugly spirit toward people who don't believe like I do and don't think like I do. And I'm glad that uh, God is working that in me because I'm like James and John. Hey, pull the lightning bolt. and You know, we're like that. Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. So hopefully he's working in each one of us. But we see this. The Father sins. Jesus sins. The Spirit. Notice this in verse. Just some truths from here. Just want you to say la, chew on for a while. Chew on that this week. Uh, some of these things. I'm going to pray the Father. And he's going to give you another helper. That he, the Holy Spirit, look at this truth, may abide with you forever. 
Have you ever chewed on that? That God Himself dwells within you forever. How long is forever? That's a very simple answer, Dwayne. Forever. God indwells us. We are not divine, but the divine lives in us. And so, I try to be practical with everything I try to teach. So, if the divine lives in you, as he says he does, why is it that we fill in the blank? Why do we fill in the blank? Why do? Why are we afraid? Why are we anxious? Why are we guilt-ridden? Why are we... Fill in the blank. Whatever your deal is. Who's got a deal? Who's got a blank? Remember that blank is not you, but it's your family member, it's your friend, but you're not incriminating yourself. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, why do I what? Not obey. He calls us to obey. We're still human? Is that an excuse? No. <laughs> we don't believe what God is saying. What else? That's right. It, we're not led by the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. It is. It is. When you look at that, it's such a vivid picture, though we know it. Every time we can, we attach that to our Savior. It's just, to me, that's very convicting. That's the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us, right? That's one of the per. Excellent. Good. Remember, we've said this before. 
Each one of us is progressing in sanctification according to God's schedule. Do you know that? He works, he works out ourselves. We work. He gives us the will and the desire and the ability, but each one of us, he's progressing at the rate that he has ordained for us. Pardon me? That's right. <clears throat> so we can't, I do this, we do this, we become discouraged, and we become frustrated, and we a place blame to God perhaps where we shouldn't. Why aren't I progressing? And we want it now, we want it now. And we don't understand that God is working in us. And, and like I've told my group, there's a tapestry He's working on. And the only thing we can see is the knots and the, un, and the unfinished ties that are on the back of that thing. But He sees the front of that thing with beautiful, okay? We just see the knots. And that's all I see most of the time. But we need to see what He sees, that He is working His will in each one of His people. And he's going to finish the work, and that work is going to be finished in a new, glorified, resurrected body, right? So, my word, the Holy Spirit encourages us in this walk, because there is nothing good in our flesh. There's nothing, no ability in our flesh. Our flesh isn't subject to God's law, and it can't be, but God working in us changes us, right? All of you have said the same thing better than I've said it. But that's what the Holy Spirit does sent by the Father. The Spirit dwells with us anywhere. We are saved by grace and He takes up permanent residence in us. All of Jesus' prayers are answered. Seek consolation from this Word. He sets us apart by His truth. His Word is truth. Let the Holy Spirit Bring to life this verse. This is Jesus praying for you, and this will be accomplished. Look at John 17. I don't know how I'm going to get through John 17. I have a great phobia of teaching John 17. I've never done it well. And I can't do it well. But the Holy Spirit can do it well. Look at 17, uh, 21 and 22. Jesus is praying for us future believers that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be just one, just as we are one. How do you wrap your head around that? Remember we talked about co-inherence last week, a fancy word for mutual indwelling. The Father and the Son indwells the Father, the Spirit indwells it's the Godhead in unity. There are three great unities we talked about, remember? The unity of the Godhead, the unity of the redeemed in Christ. We talked about that. And uh, that's an amazing thing to fathom that we are united with Christ. And... Uh, So Jesus has prayed that we're going to be one 
in him and and he's going to be in us and that we are going to be that glorious radiant diamond that he has desired us to be and he is going to accomplish that in each one of us. And though some of us are dull and full of dross and barely shine at all and it may even appear that we're counterfeits, he is going to, through the heat of life, he is. And we see that and he's working in us so... That's what he does. Now we see this. We see that the Spirit, we see him, that the Father sins, Jesus sins. We sin this. We see this. Now look at this next verse. Speaking of the Spirit and what, what he is. The Spirit of truth. So we see that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And as I have in my notes, we talked about this last week. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about the truth, the reality that is Christ. He's the only truth uh, there is. The truth is the effects of the gospel. The truth is the gospel. The truth is, is that God is sovereign, that He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, that He's righteous, that He's holy, that He's just. The truth is that, that, that He saves men and He reconciles men to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men. So these are truths. And the truth is that our sins have been forgiven, taken away, removed, as far as east from the west, cast into the sea. I could go on and on. These are truths. The Holy Spirit is the one who illumines our minds with these truths. It's the belt that we put on as an armor. So when, when, when the world comes against us, when the devil comes against us, when our flesh comes against us, the truth is, that, is what we know about God. So when doubts arise, when we are falsely accused by the devil, when all these things come against us, that truth is the anchor, right? Who we are. So the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit of truth always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. I've said this before. You know if you're in a wrong place if the Holy Spirit is given priority over Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is prioritized over Jesus. The Holy Spirit never does that. He would never do that. That is not of His essence, that is not His purpose. His purpose is to point people to Christ, the only name. We're saved by the name of Jesus, right? By the work of Jesus on the cross. And the Holy Spirit always, it's not these ancillary uh, outward expressions, it's always the inward push towards Christ. And that's what the Spirit does. He's the Spirit of truth. And so Jesus says, the Spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. Things about the truth I've got here. He is the source of truth. He communicates truth to His own. Uh, we'll see this in, uh, in, in John 16. Uh, but we'll just, I'll just read it real for, for now, but we'll get into it in depth when we get there. John 16:12. I have many things to say to you. This is what uh, Jeff said a minute ago. I have many things to say to you, but you can't. Hear them, you can't bear them now. 
However, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will speak not His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me. He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. And then Jesus, in the, in the hierarchical system that they have, dis, dis, they have set aside in eternity past, the Godhead, and so Jesus says, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore he will take of mine and declare. So there's a, there is a humility chain of command within the Godhead, and the Spirit glorifies Christ, and Christ glorifies the Father, and they together accomplish their purposes. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit only speaks what He hears and never speaks on His own authority. The Spirit proclaims Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we see that uh, in many verses. I just want you to camp out. I, the pastor talked about this today. And so providentially, I'm going to talk about it again today. As we share the gospel and we evangelize, we need to understand these things. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.10. This Holy Spirit is truth, and how the Spirit is critical, understanding. And we'll give Jeff another kudos. This is why the disciples couldn't understand, like why they couldn't believe, they couldn't function, why they doubted, why they betrayed, the way they ran. They misunderstood Christ because the Spirit had not yet come upon them. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of God, except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except God's Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. The natural doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who spiritually judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Mind-numbing thought. Mind-numbing thought. So we see this. Now I want to look at something that uh, I didn't know if I was going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I expect some good conversation, maybe animated conversation, maybe some differences. But hey, we're going to be, uh, we're going to do this. Uh, We're going to get into a discussion of the Trinity as well as their distinctions. How about that topic? We've seen this, and and uh, let me tell you what I believe before we get started. I agree with the theologian B.B. Warfield in explaining the Trinity and what the Scripture teaches about the Trinity. I believe there is one God, and I believe that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are God. And I believe that there's a distinction between each person of the Trinity. Okay? I think that's what the Bible teaches. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to go into the realm here of, uh, and I will call this, how do we explain practically what I just said? And so uh, bear with me as I try to build this up. A discussion. Let's look at some verses in Scripture. And uh, that's what I believe. Uh, uh, does anybody know what this is, this word means? Okay, so we have, there's one God, but each, each person of the God has, has a specific function. Would that sum up what you just said? They put on a different hat. It's messed up. Modalism. We reject modalism. As he needs. He's God the Father as he needs. There are one God, three persons. Distinct persons subsisting within one. This is mind-boggling. It's been going on for thousands of years. People still haven't apprehended it yet. We'll never fully understand the Trinity while we're on this planet. Completely. That's right. So we're thinking about this. Tritheism. We reject this out of hand. What does that say? From the prefix, we see that there is three gods who only seem to become one, only seem to be one because they always act together. There's three gods. They only only seems to be one because they're always acting in unity together. Tritheism. We reject that. Right? We're learning something. This says three gods. They seem to be one. Because they always work together. Everybody reject that? We know there's one God. Hero is of the Lord our God. The Lord is one. There's one God. Monotheism is the creed of Judaism. The creed of, of uh, Christianity. Mono, one God, but three distinct persons. We reject these two. Now, let me look at some scripture. Judaism says, Hero is of the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's why they have a problem with Jesus. Because he claims to be God. They have a problem with it. They don't understand the Trinity, right? But one day they're going to look upon him whom they've pierced. And their eyes will be opened and they will repent. And all Israel will be. Yes, ma'am. Tritheism. Chip. It's no H. A school teacher would understand that. We thank you, Pamela, for correcting my ignorance. Tritheism. Thriceism. I don't think that's a word. Tritheism. We reject that. Now let's look at some verses. And let's see. The Holy Spirit wrote these verses. And let us see where we're going to 
what other people's opinions are going to be on this and, and be easy with me uh, if you uh, doubt. Okay? Let's look at some of these verses. Let's look at Romans 8, 9 through 11. Romans 8, 9 through 11. That's a good chapter. <laughs> but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Got that verse? Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15.45 And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Everybody got that one? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through... 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Got that verse? Some theologians say, and I don't even know how to explain how they say, and if you know how they think, or if you think like them, maybe we can talk about this. They equate the Holy Spirit and Jesus' Spirit. Let me read you some quotes from some of these people. He, Jesus, comes in, comes in the coming of the Spirit. It is not for an instant that the disciples are to have the presence of the Spirit instead of the presence of the Son, but to have the Spirit is to have the Son. The coming of the Comforter is just the coming of Jesus to the heart. The Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, is just the Christ that will dwell in you. The Spirit did not come as the Son's replacement or representative, but as the Son Himself in spiritual form. Everybody's sort of crunching up the nose, the eyelashes, the crinkle on the forehead. There seems, they seem to lose the distinction between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' Spirit. Is that important? What do we say to these things? And some of these are people that uh, have great commentaries that we've all read. I'm just quoting from them. Uh, so what do we think about that? Uh, is Jesus' Spirit and the Holy Spirit the same thing? 
We got a couple of yeses and a couple of noes, a majority noes. So what do we say? How do we, if we are, uh, if, if Russell's an elder in the job, his job, primary job, and along with, uh, with Lee and, and Mr. Gibson and Mr. Brown and Terry and Keith, if we got a guy coming in our church saying, Jesus Spirit and the Holy Spirit of one are basically saying there's only two persons of the Trinity, what do we say to that? How do we refute that? And how do we guard the doctrine of the church? Yes. We see that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read that. That was in my. Uh, uh, we see that in Matthew 28. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three, one God, three different, distinct persons. We see that. Huh. Oh, that bad. Okay, we'll look at Mark. We'll look at Mark chapter 1. Always thinking ahead of me. That's good, Val. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Yeah, 1, 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit anointed and dwelling in Christ. And then immediately what happens? He goes into the, after the Spirit comes, He goes into the wilderness. To be ten- How do we explain this to people? How do we, these, these are well-known people here. How do we say this, this Comforter who is the Holy Spirit is just the Christ that will dwell in you? The Spirit didn't come as the, as the, as the uh, Son's replacement or representative, but as the Son Himself in His spiritual form. Does that just confuse you too much to even respond to that? But these are well-known people that write lots of books. They are too far over here. Yes, 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 sir. Was you going to comment on this, Russell? Was you, Sally? These are good questions. The verses that I read, is that a practical, is that, why do they think that? Is this practical? When they say in Romans 8, when it says, uh, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, that if any doesn't have the Spirit of Christ. So they say, Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. I just wanted you to think about this. I was skeptical about bringing it up. But I want you to know there are many people 
these people that I've quoted are Leon Morris, R.C. Moberly, A.B. Simpson, Watchman Nee, and several others. It is very, very difficult to explain this, but we need to have watchful minds and ears because uh, the Holy Spirit never usurps Christ's authority. And so, practically, is the Holy Spirit Christ's Spirit? Practically? We understand that the Holy Spirit is Christ's Spirit dwelling in... And that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Russ is going to say something. Here we go. But they're all unified in purpose. So how is that not modalism? But isn't it like... Isn't this wonderful? Not exactly, but in some respects it's like the body of Christ. We are all in the body if we have trusted Christ as our Savior. But we all have a different function. I mean, God is God, obviously. I'm not concerned about the body. But, but it is the same in function. Our function is to glorify Christ and all of us have different gifts to equip the body to accomplish that function, right? Okay. What was Christ's function? Glorify who? The Father. Okay. So there is the Spirit's the function. The, the Spirit's function is to glorify. The kenosis, the voluntarily laying aside. Not that he wasn't fully God, but he voluntarily laid aside. Yes. Fran's got a furrowed brow. Let's go. Yes, they do. We have to apprehend this by faith. Yes. It is Christ's Spirit that does that, right? Because there's, there's one God, but Christ is a man, can't dwell in your body, right? And we, just like Christ, Jesus in His flesh is God because we can't understand God if it's not exegeted by Jesus. Do you see how that all functions together? Right. So, thanks for that discussion. I hope it hasn't clouded anything in your heart and mind. But we want to, because when it says here, it says in verse 18, uh, 
I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In the person of the Spirit. But they are distinct persons. But it is the Spirit of Christ coming and dwelling in us because He's a man in heaven and He can't personally... He's, he's limited as a man. He's not omnipresent anymore, right? But His Spirit is and His Spirit lives within it and that Spirit is God and that Spirit is Christ's Spirit. Yes. See, that's what we talked about last week. Greater works you will do. He's talking about the greater. We talked about the extent. The power is the same. The power is the dunamis, is the, the dynamite, is the Holy Spirit. But he says greater works you're going to do. That means in extent. We talked about Acts. Jesus never preached and 5,000 people were saved. Never preached and 3,000 people were saved. But when Peter preached, preacher, Peter obviously is no more, doesn't have the, is not God, but the Holy Spirit God, He accomplishes His purpose and this whole entity called the church is born. And now, as Sally said, now we have millions of people who have the Spirit of Christ in them. And so the extent is greater. Everybody, is this good? We understand we refute a little error. There are three persons, not two, and there are three distinct persons. I read these three guys, and, I, and I'm reading this, and I'm just sort of, as I do when I red flag in this, and I just want to make sure. If you ever come across this type of uh, theology, that you'll understand uh, what it is and, and why it's wrong. So, uh, good. I'm, that was more peaceful than I thought it would be. Uh, Yes, because my spirit is working in you. Uh, uh, I've talked about this uh, before. Last week I did. Uh, a little while longer in the world will see me no more. That's talking about I'm, I'm, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be in the ground three days, and I'm going to raise from the dead. A little while longer the world will see me no more. And we talked about that. There is no record in the Bible of unbelievers ever seeing Jesus after he rose from the dead. The 500 in 1 Corinthians were brethren. The disciples, the, the ladies, they were all followers of His. And so when it says the world will see me no more, and then He ascends, the world doesn't see Him. But you will see me at the resurrection. You're going to see me. And while and because I live, you're going to live also. And at, that, that, at verse 20, at that time you will know that I'm in my Father. The resurrection is going to codify the truth and it's also mentioning that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to bring to remembrance everything I said. And this is all going to click and make sense, and it's going to be life-changing. And then you're going to have a purpose, the disciples, and that's to share the gospel. Last thing, uh, quickly, 
uh, peace. Uh, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. This word peace is a fascinating word. Uh, Hebrew, uh, we know what Hebrew is. It's shalom. Uh, but in Greek, uh, the word is uh, irene. And uh, this word peace, uh, we define peace in, this, in our world as the absence of hostility. That's not what peace is. When Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, the word peace, uh, it means that really the, the baseline of what peace is, is reconciliation. We have been reconciled to the Godhead by the work of Jesus Christ. We have been made right. Our sins have been covered. We have been declared righteous by the work of Christ. So that is the peace that he's talking about. Peace I leave you. He's not saying you're not going to have any trouble because immediately they're all going to be scattered. Every one of them are going to be martyred except John, uh, the gospel writer. And so he's not talking about absence of, absence of hostility or trouble or persecutions. It's the opposite. Once you're in Christ, that's when the struggle begins. Romans 7 don't happen unless you're in Christ. Because unbelievers don't have a struggle. You ever notice that? They don't have a conscience about what they do. They don't have guilt about what they do. Well, sometimes they do, but they just quench it and they, and they kill it. But there's no struggle. But we struggle after we're reconciled, right? And so this, this word peace means a harmony. We're at one with Christ. We're unified with Christ. There's a tranquility there. And this peace is, uh, is always internal. And it's, uh, it's a gift of the Spirit. And it's similar to joy. Uh, and con- uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, and joy. And so this peace that He gives His disciples is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's an internal fruit that is not dependent upon outward situations. But it is not a promise of no struggle. But it is because we've been reconciled to Him. And that's the premise of it. Uh, it emphasizes a quietness of heart and freedom from emotional worry and frustration. That's why he told the disciples, let not your heart be troubled at the start of this verse. And then he says this again, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious, restless in mind and heart because I give you peace. You've been reconciled to me. Don't fear man. Only man can do is kill you. Fear God who can destroy body and soul in hell. So that's going to be a start. We're going to finish this next week. And then we're going to be talking about what it means the devil's coming and he has nothing in me. And then we're going to break into the, uh, the, the, the true vine. He's the true vine and we're the branches. And we're going to talk about how we glorify God. Any comments or questions? Thank you for putting up with my... Uh, discussion, and I'm glad it went as well as it did. Any comments or questions?